Hello. Hello. And welcome to another episode of Tacos and To Kill Ya. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have a crazy case for you today. Sydney and I fucked up. <laughs> We're not even 30 seconds in and I'm dropping the F-bomb. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, one, we've just spent 20 minutes before we hit record talking about a bunch of true crime stuff going on in the world. Literally. That we probably should have included in this recording, we decided. But there's that. <laughs> I feel like in the future... Peyton and I always talk, like, for the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes before we hit record. And I feel like sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes it's just talking shit about her boyfriend. But <laughs> he also complained to me and said that we've just been talking mad crap about him. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But sometimes we actually, like, real life talk about some good true crime or some other good things we can have for the week that we haven't discussed but yeah we covered i'll just give a quick summary we covered the kyle rittenhouse trial that's currently happening in kenosha it's in downtown kenosha right yes okay that can i break the news yeah oh Um, that Sydney has an in, so she is hopefully going to be sitting in on the trial this week, which is, like, super fucking cool, in my opinion. Super fucking cool, guys. Real life court TV. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) Um, we also talked about the latest with, like, Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie and how we, like, it, like, fell off the face of the earth once they found his body and then... The things that upset us in that case. <laughs> yeah, we. I still care about that, but I just don't feel like it's as easy to find information about it as it was three weeks ago. Yeah, I literally used to, like, every other post on Facebook or, like, yeah, anything was about this case. And now you don't see it as easily now. And I guess it's technically kind of over, but... There's a lot of unanswered questions. It's not over till it's over. (laughs) That's a Lenny Kravitz song. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, We also talked about briefly what happened at Astroworld, which was really devastating. And my heart's go out to, like, everyone that was there, whether you survived or not, and the families that lost people, because it's really devastating. That has to be, like, just such a horrific thing to even, to be at World and know that that had happened. Yeah, and it's, like, that survivor's guilt that, like, mm-hmm. you left unscathed. And also, like, Sydney and I were talking about, there were a lot of young people that were victims in, in that, and that lost their lives. And it's just, like, very crushing. Very, um, very And then last but not least, we also talked about um, Henry Ruggs III and the football player who got in the accident, drunk driving accident in Las Vegas, and how uh, that's what I've been reading about nonstop this weekend and making myself very upset about it. (laughs) Very Uh, upsetting I'm not laughing because it's funny because it's like really devastating and I've just told Sydney before I hit record that like I've been like reading articles and on the verge of tears my boyfriend's like are you fucking okay like what's what's wrong and I'm like this is so sad and I cry at everything but it's like been really heartbreaking to read so lots of sad news in the world right now I know every day (laughs) we're gonna bring it down for like a few minutes here and then hopefully (laughs) bring it back up yes um, we have a very interesting story today. It's actually one that when Sydney and I first started talking about doing a podcast, I brought up the story. It is one that Sydney had never heard of before. And no. any of you Metro Detroiters, Michiganders, you will know this story the second I start talking, or at least think you know the story, because we all he- grew up hearing the story. Um, 
but I think it's very interesting. This is a lot of information even I didn't know. And um, it covers Sydney's favorite topic besides Abraham Lincoln. Organized crime. Organized crime. <laughs> and it also is going to be a two-parter. <laughs> I texted Sydney earlier and said, I'm so sorry. I dove deep. Um, yes. Part two is really going to, part one's really going to cover a lot of background and uh, what happened in said person's life. <laughs> um, I guess if you're listening, you already saw the subject line, but. <laughs> uh, but in that everything that led up to the certain day <laughs> that is famous for this person. And uh, part two will be everything about that, the disappearance and everything that's been happening for the last 46 years, because there are millions of theories and there's like news breaking this year that <laughs> I've been mm-hmm. like obsessing over. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess if, Sydney, do you have anything else to add before I like dive into it? No, I don't. I think you can dive right in. Okay. I'm also going to apologize in advance if I ramble a lot. Um, I'll try to break up my notes with like talking about it because some of it is a lot. And I'm going to talk a lot about like labor unions and all this verbiage that like I didn't really understand what it meant and um I always kind of break it all up as much as I can Sydney feel free to call me out if I'm just rambling (laughs) she's gonna talk to you about a lot of organized crime very true and more (laughs) but some will be in part one (laughs) in July of 1975 a man would disappear from the metro Detroit area not far from his own home and never be seen again. This man had previously risen to ranks in a labor union organization all the way up to the union's presidency, had worked with various crime families throughout the country, and is a name that many still recognize, even those generations after him. This man was sought after by the federal government for many years, fought his own adversity, and has often been called the Al Capone of the labor union. Despite the infamy of this case, he would disappear and never be found again. More than 45 years later, there are still constant searches to find his body, and the everlasting question remains, what really happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Jimmy Hoffa was born James Riddle Hoffa in Brazil, Indiana, on February 14th, 1913, Valentine's Day, and he is an Aquarius like yourself, Sydney. God bless. (laughs) He was born two days after Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Brazil is just southwest of Indianapolis. It, I'm going to be honest, it didn't look very big of a city. Um, Just like a normal kind of suburb now. Really not sure what it looked like back in 1913. Jimmy's father, John, was of German descent and his mother, Viola, was of Irish descent. His father ended up dying of lung disease in 1920 when he was just seven years old. Um, I believe I saw that his father was a minor, so definitely a big part of the lung disease. In 1924, when he was 11, the Hoffa family moved to Detroit, where Jimmy would be raised. This he would consider his home and spend the rest of his life living here. At the age of 14, Jimmy dropped out of school and began working full-time to help support his family. He did this by working a variety of manual labor jobs, a lot of shop and warehouse jobs at the time. And on September 24th, 1936, at the age of 23, Jimmy married 18-year-old Josephine. The couple met six months earlier at a laundry worker strike action and fell in love. They ended up having two children together, Barbara Ann and James P. Hoffa. They would eventually own two homes, one in Detroit, which they 
bought when they first got married, and eventually a lakefront property in Lake Orion Township, Michigan. So since Jimmy had been working manual labor jobs from a young age, he got involved in the ground level of a lot of union organizational work. He was working for a grocery store chain at the time, and the workers were really displeased with the working conditions and low wages, so they unionized. Uh, although he was young, Hoffa had the courage to speak up and approached and was approachable, which really impressed his coworkers. This helped him rise to leadership, not only like with this role at the grocery store, but it helped him kind of lead the grocery workers being unionized. He actually was like a head figure in getting them a 40 cent raise, which I thought was pretty impressive. I know that's like nothing now, but I mean, back in the 30s, 40 cents was like a 40 cent difference was a lot of money. <laughs> so eventually it said grocery store in 1932, Hoffa refused to work for a shift foreman that he considered abusive. And he actually ended up leaving this grocery store chain. He, at this point in time, was approached to work with the Teamsters in Detroit as an organizer with Team 299. So I'm going to kind of explain a lot of like the Teamsters organization and what they were and what they do because they are still around today. For those of you who have never heard of them, um, they formed in 1903, really like when two organiza organizations merged together, the Team Drivers International Union and the Teamsters National Union. So it is an international organization, but it's mostly just through like Canada and the U.S. It's a union with a wide variety of members composed of blue collar and professional workers. And as of 2020, the Teamsters had approximately 1.3 million members, which like, holy shit, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of people. Back when Jimmy got involved, though, the Teamsters in 1933 had an average membership of like 75,000 people, which is like nothing compared to what they have now. By 1939, in large part due to Jimmy's work with other organizers to get all truckers into regional chapters and eventually under one national organization and contract, which I'll talk in a little bit about, the membership would grow to 420,000. So that's like obviously more than double, triple, quadruple even what they were at when he first got involved. To this day, Jimmy Hoffa is like largely responsible for growing the Teamsters Union. Um, I'm just going to like, on a side note, here in Michigan, like Metro Detroit, especially like there's all the car factories and automotive industry. And I like, I actually talked to my grandpa earlier before we recorded Sid and I brought up this case and everything. And, you know, my grandpa, he doesn't necessarily remember because he used to work for Chrysler. He doesn't necessarily remember when his plant was unionized, but he does remember at one point in time when he was in an, a salary non-union position and they, in like a department, and they unionized their department. So he, <laughs> he's told me a lot of stories, um, especially back in the day when like unions were first taking over it was like a very almost like hostile type of takeover and they didn't always use like the legalist <laughs> legalist I don't think that's a word they use shady fucking ways to take over <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's a good way of putting it <laughs> everything I know like I guess I guess, and it's not even, like, it's common, like, I don't even want to say common knowledge, just, like, past knowledge I have on, like, the unions back in the day, I feel like is shady, like, organized crime type deals to get a part of it. Oh, 100%. You think of the mobsters. 
Oh, and we'll, we're going to get to those mobsters. <laughs> so the focus with the Teamsters was really to organize truck drivers and warehouse workers in the Midwest, and it eventually expanded throughout the whole country. Hoffa and other organizers focused on using various methods. Um, I'll talk about some more of the illegal methods later. <laughs> But some of the legal methods that they use to get employees' demands met and improve contract agreements were, like, organizing boycotts and strikes and things like that. Think of it this way. I think I I say this in my notes, so I'm sorry. (laughs) So, um, so like, essentially in the auto—can't talk. Essentially, in the auto industry, just like I mentioned— There are unions that allow for better pay, and there are certain requirements on working conditions and certain expectations from all of the management in these plants. The Teamsters Union was looking for the same things and unionizing different sectors of work, specifically focusing on, like, truck drivers. So, back in the 1930s, the trucking companies were either heavily influenced by or being completely ran by illegal activity. I literally wrote in my notes, specifically, Sydney's favorite thing to talk about, organized crime. <laughs> I have no idea why either. Like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, I also think it's, like, probably a big part of, like, growing up so close to Chicago. That could be. Like, it's just always been something that's, like, intriguing to, I feel like, a lot of people. Well, and even Milwaukee was, like, a big hub for Al Capone, so, like, I think you probably grew up with it a lot. And, like, when we went on that tour, (laughs) we did that tour, and we went to Chicago, I was like, oh, my God, like, I have to eventually talk about Jimmy Hoffa. That's, like, it made me want to talk about it more. Yes. Because, like, you have, like, Milwaukee and, you know, Chicago Al Capone stories, Jimmy Hoffa, like I said, has been compared to Al Capone, but in the labor union. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, like, for me, that was like, oh, we have someone. <laughs> Show and, your like, organized there are other crime. Things, there are other, like, Detroit Mafia, and, like, I'm sure, I guess by this time now that we're recording, um, there's, like, a new star show out that's called BMF, which is, like, was it Black Mafia Family, which is, like, a story based off, like, a Detroit, like, Mafia Family, um, I'm trying to think, there's, like, the Purple Gang, so there's stories, but, like, they're not as well known as, like, El Capone around here, Yeah, is for, like, you guys there. That's true, that's true. We have Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) And in fact, so much so that, like, when I brought this up to my grandpa that I was doing it and, like, covering this case, he was, like, super excited and was like, oh, and he went on to all the things that he remembered in the news when everything happened. So I, love I thought, it. Yeah, I thought that was really <laughs> it was cool. That's awesome. So, especially, like, I mentioned all these being heavily influenced or completely ran by illegal activity. It was, like, a really big deal that Hoffa was able to unionize, unify, and expand these trucking unions. Um, He would often have to make deals and arrangements with many gangster or mobsters, and it made him pretty popular within like organized crime families it also really helped him kind of gain control and influence within the teamsters organization because he was so effective working with these families and getting things that the teamsters wanted so like i said he worked extensively to extend their influence in the midwest throughout the late 30s and all of the 40s He never worked as a truck driver himself, but he did eventually become the president of the local 299 chapter in December of 1946. He quickly also led the combined group of all Detroit area local chapters and would become the head of the Michigan Teamsters group. 
pretty quickly after taking over the local 299 chapter. He even was able to obtain a deferment from military service during World War II. He made a case for his union leadership skills and how they would be more valuable to the nation by keeping freight running smoothly to assist the war effort. And he was successful with this, which I found, like, extremely interesting. That's wild. Wild. (laughs) That's just, I I guess I never, as soon as you started explaining that, I didn't know that was even, like, a thing, like, that you could defer something as big as being drafted. Especially, like, I, I could understand, like, if you were, you know, you had a disability or, like, something like that where they just, like, wrote you off. Like, if you are capable and, like, had the abilities to be a part of it, that you could basically, like, appeal, like, no, I think I'd be better off in the States because I'm going to help you in this manner rather than go and fight for you guys. I don't know. That, I think that's just crazy. Like, okay, like all the, yes, the other stories. It's so crazy. I literally just Googled it because I had to be sure. So, like, I don't know if you were aware of this, and I thought this was true, but then I couldn't remember. Elvis Presley received his draft card, and he could not receive deferment. And it said at the time of his enlistment, he was the most well-known name in the world of entertainment, and he still and served. And he still didn't. That's yes. what I guess I couldn't think of like names, but like I knew that, that there had to have been other people out there where it was like, no, like you get the fucking, it's your turn, like. Literally, you do like you don't have a way to get out of it. Like I didn't think that that was an option. Like that you could appeal or like voice your opinion on it. I just figured it was like, no, fuck off. Like we'll see you there. Like, well, and I don't know if like, I don't even know if Elvis, I guess, actually tried tried to even defer. But like Hoffa was like, no, I'm not going, and he let his yeah. face and they created it. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, I knew it wasn't, like, super important to the story, but I had to include it because I think it's so rare. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a a very unheard of item. So, in 1952, there was a convention for the National Teamsters Organization, and Hoffa was selected as the National VP by the incoming president, David Beck. There was essentially an internal revolt against the former president, who had been president of the Teamsters for, like, the last 40 years. (laughs) And the revolt was headed by Jimmy Hoffa himself. He actually helped secure the vote for David Beck and made sure he was the incoming president. In return for Jimmy's efforts, Beck awarded Jimmy by appointing him as his VP. So, like, as you can see, there's already, like, a lot of shady stuff going on. (laughs) By the 1957 Teamsters Convention, Hoffa took over the presidency. The former president, David Beck, was actually under indictment when the convention took place. He had appeared in front of the McClellan Committee, which was the special select committee on improper activities in labor or management field within Congress. (laughs) It's like a mouthful. Beck would actually be convicted and serve time for fraud and bribery. Hoffa was also reelected for the presidency in 1961. And in 64, Jimmy successfully brought on essentially all of over-the-road truck drivers in North America under one national master freight agreement. This is considered to be Hoffa's single-handed biggest achievement and one of the biggest ones ever seen within the Teamsters organization. He also tried to bring in the airline workers and other transport employees in the union as well, but he wasn't super successful with this. Jimmy was then re-elected for a third term in which he ran unopposed. Despite his current convictions and ongoing legal issues by this time. Don't worry, I will get to it next. I just wanted to give you a timeline of him with the Teamsters. (laughs) 
Frank Fitzsimmons was elected as the vice president in this election. And just in case he would need to become president, quote unquote, if Hoffa has to serve a jail term. (laughs) So they were prepared with everything going on in Jimmy's life at this point. At this point in time, the criminal investigations into Jimmy Hoffa were amped up to say the least. (laughs) Just preparing for the worst. Like, literally, (laughs) there's a lot of times I like what I'm going to say, quote, unquote, (laughs) because I found these quotes and I'm like, oh, I got to use it. (laughs) That's like, here you go, Sydney. Uh, This is your backup that we we're going to need you to train in case you get arrested. Just in case we're prepared. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like that's like a I mean, I understand why but how do you like obviously he knew that that was why the person was like there but to have to explain that like yeah you're just my backup in case i get fucking arrested or yeah fined well i will get into fitzsimmons some more in a little bit because i think it's kind of interesting i found something else and was like oh that's why frank fitzsimmons was elected (laughs) So, I guess I'll kind of jump back to criminal investigations now. Um, In 1946, Jimmy Hoffa was investigated for extortion, but this case led nowhere. At this time, often employers used violence to settle contract disputes, and Hoffa was known to encourage his men to fight fire with fire. (laughs) By this time... Employers are starting to, like, kind of realize violence was not the answer for the most part. So Hoffa started using other measures to settle disputes and disagreements with employers and his union members. Oftentimes, this included extortion, bribery, blackmail, a lot of firsthand accounts. (laughs) The first time Jimmy Hoffa faced a true criminal investigation was in 1957 when he was elected Teamster president. This was due to the McClellan Committee that was also investigating David Beck, the former president at the time. On March 14, 1957, Hoffa was actually arrested were trying to bribe an aide to the special committee. He denied the charges and was later acquitted, but this really kicked off additional investigations, arrests, and indictments throughout the next few weeks for several Teamsters, including Jimmy himself. One person who had worked with the special McClellan committee was Robert F. Kennedy. (laughs) In 1960, JFK was elected president, and as most of us should probably know, he appointed his brother Robert as the attorney general. RFK was pissed, to say the least, about not being able to convict Hoffa when he was working on the subcommittee. I'm just going to preface this with I dove deep into their feud and uh it was it was like a very <laughs> it was a very big feud these men had <laughs> in 1961 rfk pursued a strong attack on organized crime i literally wrote in my notes q conspiracy theories here <laughs> um dun, because, dun, dun. yeah <laughs> Um, Because, obviously, there's a big conspiracy theory that JFK was assassinated due to his, him and his brother's pursuit of organized crime and mobsters. Yes. Jimmy Hoffa was one of those people they pursued very hard. Uh, Interesting. he, He literally had a team of investigators and prosecutors on a a team called, so-called, in quotes, Get Hoffa. That was what he called it. Um, So he had a team dedicated to it. 
basically RFK had this heart on for Jimmy Hoffa, and he was really trying to get him any way he could. <laughs> he would eventually get Jimmy Hoffa, so I just want to clarify, they'll eventually get him, but he really wasn't sure how yet. Uh, the hatred these two men had for each other was very strong as they often had interviews with new out news outlets making jabs at one another. Um, I'm going, I have a few comments throughout here, but um, in one rally in Tennessee, Hoffa even attacked JFK himself by saying he has a police mentality and therefore he is not fit to be a president. Um, which is very interesting because JFK is like, one of the most beloved presidents of in all of history. So I just thought that was interesting to include. <laughs> and RFK was once quoted saying, Hoffa is a very evil influence on the United States and something has to be done about it. So he did not like this man. That's like very apparent. <laughs> It's also important to note that there were many rumors Hoffa was tampering with the pension funds in the union and embezzling money from the members and their pensions for himself and helping fund his criminal friends. It couldn't be proven, but that was definitely something RFK was like really trying for. On a side note, Sydney, <laughs> I know I've been talking about this to you on the side lately, but like you've never watched The Sopranos, right? No, I've seen, like, portions of episodes or maybe, like, a few full episodes, but I've never watched it, like, from start to finish. Okay, so I'm currently watching all of The Sopranos for, like, the first time. And we're almost done with season two now. But I gotta tell you, I'm, like, <laughs> they're gonna be parts, especially in part two, when I'm gonna reference The Sopranos. <sighs> But it's very funny because one of the people involved in the show is involved in, like, a labor union. And he, like, had his girlfriend working in the pension office and was, like, appointed her as, like, the head in that building or whatever it was. And she would, like, literally cut checks for him to him from the funds. <laughs> Shady ass. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> I told my mom when I was like telling her about this case, I was like, you know, it's really crazy to sit here and be like, oh, this is it going on in The Sopranos. <laughs> this is real life. <laughs> well, maybe that's what it was based off of. So I definitely think they took a lot of real stuff in The Sopranos. Yeah. Um, but it's like very interesting because eventually we'll get to it probably more in part two but there were definitely people involved in the teamsters organization that were a hundred percent um like a part of organized crime and crime families so like there are other like vps or regional presidents or whoever they are that were involved in it and so like to think that you know, this is not a far stretch that that could have been happening. In 1962, charges were brought against Hoffa for conspiracy in Nashville, Tennessee. He and another man supposedly set up a trucking firm to funnel hundreds of thousands of dollars to Hoffa in exchange for settling a strike in the area. Conspiracy, bribery, a bunch of stuff. Um, but Hoffa was actually acquitted of all these charges. Just a side note. <laughs> I have a few side notes in here. I'm sorry. Um, there was a man who burst into the courtroom and actually shot at Jimmy Hoffa with a pellet gun during this trial. <laughs> his name was Warren Swanson, and he was actually later acquitted of all of his charges as well due to insanity. But I thought that was kind of fucking wild. <laughs> Why a pellet gun? Do you think he was like, killing a squirrel? Like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? But basically, from what I read, is like the man was not mentally stable. So I mean, I guess I guess that makes sense. Maybe thought it was a real gun, but pellet gun? Maybe. And I couldn't find like a reason why Jimmy Hoffa. Like I don't I don't know. Hmm. 
Interesting. I probably could have dug more into that, but I couldn't really find anything without a super hard dig. (laughs) So, like I said, Jimmy was acquitted of all charges, but there were a lot of rumors that Hoffa had bribed a patrolman whose wife was actually a juror on this conspiracy case. So, fast forward to May of 1963, Hoffa was indicted for jury tampering from the first trial, and he was eventually convicted on March 4th, 1964. So, he did get the trial to go almost a year. He was sentenced to eight years in prison, as well as a $10,000 fine. So, as another side note, I swear I have so many of them. Um, When I mentioned, you know, Hoffa's hatred for the Kennedys, during this trial that lasted almost a year, JFK was assassinated. And in an interview after the assassination had taken place and, like, obviously news broke, uh, someone had asked Jimmy Hoffa about it. And he commented, Robert F. Kennedy is just a regular lawyer now. That's all he had to say. And I was like, damn, that's kind of fucking cold. (laughs) Oof. Oof. So he was appealing the bribery case or the jury tampering case. And while he was out on bail, he was convicted in a different trial held in Chicago on July 26, 1964. He was convicted of one count of conspiracy and three counts of mail and wire fraud for improper use of the Teamsters pension fund. So obviously that's a big accusation, especially at this time, because despite all of these cases and everything going on, the Teamsters all still pretty much love Hoffa. Um, despite all these legal troubles, he's he's really still in major control within the Teamster organization i mean at this point he is convicted of this in chicago to kind of get like a a picture that's also the year he got that major massive contract deal for like all north american truckers so like (laughs) he's still very popular and he was also re-elected after this (laughs) So even though he was convicted of improper use of the Teamsters pension fund, the Teamsters reelected him and he ran unopposed. <laughs> I just got to make sure like I'm I'm emphasizing this. Take all my money, but I'm still going to vote for you. Like literally. <laughs> So he was sentenced to five years for this case, but during the next three years, Jimmy was appealing all of these convictions, and he was out on bail during all of this. However, all of his appeals were unsuccessful. His appeals trial actually reached all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I thought I'd mention that because, remember, said we just talked about the other day, the other day, one of our last cases about how it's very hard to get all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes, that's definitely not an easy test to do. Yep, that's and what, he fought it all the way there. <laughs> that's when they want to, like, overturn laws and stuff. That's when the Supreme Court looks at your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he made it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they ruled against him. On March 7th, 1967, Hoffa began serving his total 13-year prison sentence in Pennsylvania at the Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary. When he entered prison, Frank Fitzsimmons took over as the acting president. (laughs) They were prepared. (laughs) However, the goal was for Hoffa to still run the Teamsters through Fitzsimmons. You see, Frank had been a loyal Hoffa fan. He was a Detroit resident and a longtime member of the Teamsters Local 299 in which Hoffa came up in. And he owed Hoffa for being in the position of power he was in. But things did not go according to Jimmy's plan. 
Frank started distancing himself and even somewhat decentralized the power that Jimmy had regained had gained and took advantage of. This actually eventually led to Jimmy officially resigning as the Teamster president in June ni- 1971, four years after entering prison. And then the next month or just a few weeks later, technically, Frank Fitzsimmons was elected the official president. So if you know anything about Jimmy Hoffa, you know the story does not end here. So what happened, you might ask, and how did Jimmy get out of this? That's actually a very easy answer. (laughs) On December 23rd, 1971, after serving less than five years in prison, President Richard Nixon commuted Hoffa's sentence to time served. (laughs) When Hoffa resigned from the Teamsters organization, he was awarded a $1.75 million lump sum termination benefit from the Teamsters Retirement and Family Protection Plan, despite him being in in prison. $1.75 million in 1971. Just a nice little presidential pardon and some cash to keep it going. Correct, because this was the largest settlement they had ever been seen and was not a common practice. And after they paid off Jimmy Hoffa, they turned around and endorsed Richard Nixon for his re-election bid in the 1972 election. Scandal. Especially scandal when, if you look at the Teamsters' previous endorsements throughout the years, they usually backed Democratic candidates. Um, The Mm. only time they went Republican was when they supported Nixon in 1960 when he ran against JFK and lost. (laughs) Interesting. So basically, Nixon got Jimmy out and home in 1971, and Hoffa was thrilled. Until he really realized that there were some stipulations to his release. (laughs) The commutation, commutation, I don't know how to say that, commutation of his sentence did not allow him to, and I quote, engage in the direct or indirect management of any labor organization until March 6, 1980. So, mind you, it's December 1971. Might as well say January 72. I mean, that's eight years that Jimmy would have to wait. And he was livid because he had every intention of getting out of prison and regaining control of the Teamsters. That was his plan. He was so mad (laughs) and accused the Nixon administration of depriving him of his rights by imposing this condition. He was so mad (laughs) that he decided to sue the Nixon administration over this restriction. And he was actually hoping to invalidate this in court in order to take control over again. It was heavily suspected that this whole stipulation was imposed due to Teamster requests to keep Hoffa distanced. But Frank Fitzsimmons always denied this. I mean, obviously, anyone would deny it, right? Naturally. I'd never be like, oh, yeah, that's why that's there. (laughs) Also, like, for Jimmy, like, being such a position of power, like, whether he's in that role or not, they were probably like, I'm not going to fucking admit to that. Like, (laughs) like, literally, (laughs) like being anyone that's going to be the reason for this man's downfall, I feel like is going to keep their fucking mouth shut unless they have a death (laughs) wish. Like, I just feel like that's common sense at that point. That's a, I'm, like, reading it, and I was like, oh, but Fitzsimmons always denied this. And I'm like, ah, oh, duh. <laughs> I think anyone in their right mind would also deny that. I'm sure that there was a handful of names that might have been a part of that, but they're smart enough to know that they're not going to say, oh, yeah, that was me. Oh, uh, literally. <laughs> like, no, that would be very dumb. <laughs> well, the depositions took place in 1974 in court proceedings. Um, including a lot of Nixon administration 
members, uh, not Richard Nixon himself, but a lot of people on his staff. And Jimmy did eventually lose his court battle. (laughs) The court ruled that Nixon's administration had the right to impose this restriction due to Hoffa's previous misconduct while serving as a Teamsters management official, which, like, in my opinion, I think is, like, the right call. (laughs) Um, I don't see how he could have expected to get out of prison for mismanagement of pension funds and then go right back there, (laughs) but I guess that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) Well... Even though he lost the court battle, and frankly, by this time, a lot of support in the Teamsters organization, even in the Detroit area, Hoffa was determined to make a comeback. And you know, what better place to start the comeback than like at the local level with the local 299 chapter in Detroit where he really started it all. And he still had a lot of influence there. According to most, Jimmy was not well-liked at this time, and it was really not seen as a good idea. There were a lot of people very outspoken against him regaining control, both within organized crime and within the Teamsters organization. One person very outspoken against Jimmy Hoffa and his regain of power was Anthony Provenzano, known as Tony or Tony Pro. Man. I'm telling you, I read that name, Anthony Provenzano, and I'm like, tell me that doesn't sound like Anthony Soprano. (laughs) I Googled it to see if this man was the influence for Tony Soprano, and he is not. Um, Come on. (laughs) He is not. Well, so the name, no. But it doesn't say, like, if there are any real-life characters Tony Soprano was based off of. But I'm going to tell you, if you're a Soprano fan, the next information I give you sounds like it might be Tony Soprano. (laughs) Provenzano had been a Teamsters local leader in New Jersey (laughs) and a national VP during Hoffa's second term of presidency. So he had been a friend of Jimmy Hoffa's. He was his right-hand man in his second term of office. However, When Hoffa was serving time at Lewisburg, Provenzano was also serving time, and supposedly there was a feud that began while the the two of them were locked up together. No one knows what the feud was or how it started, but it never really ended, because when Hoffa was making his bid to regain his position in the Teamsters organization, he actually reached out to Provenzano for support. Tony not only refused (laughs) but apparently threatened him by saying he would pull out his guts and kidnap his grandchildren that is a quote it's very aggressive extremely aggressive aggressive. very aggressive and you want to know why sydney why because provenzano wasn't just involved in the teamsters organization he was a capo for the New York City Genovese crime family. Ooh. So. Um, Scandal. Yeah, so then I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, that's a real thing. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, there's like Capo Regime or Capo Decina. It's like captain, right? So. You're not the boss, but you're a captain within this family. You have your own group of men that report to you. You handle your own little business, and you only directly, technically report to the boss. So, I mean, that's like a pretty high-ranking person in this crime family. And it is known that at least two of Provenzano's former union opponents had been murdered and others who spoke out against him had been assaulted before. Obviously, nothing ever truly linked to him, but it's just important to note that. (laughs) 
Another two prominent mafia figures involved with this whole Provenzano, Hoffa trying to take power again, was Anthony Giacalone, an alleged kingpin in the Detroit Mafia, and his brother Vito. So these two men were supposedly positioning themselves as quote-unquote mediators. (laughs) between Jimmy and Provenzano, right? They, apparently the brothers made three visits to Hoffa's home in Lake Orion Township and one to the law offices where Hoffa would frequently work out of. The brothers told Hoffa their purpose was to set up a peace meeting between him and Provenzano. So they worked for the Detroit Mafia and they were trying to smooth things over with Provenzano and Jimmy and what they were selling is hopes to come to peace, come to terms, and work together for Jimmy to regain power. However, Jimmy's son James, who is not a little kid, is a grown adult at this point, he did not believe this. Um, he was very concerned for his father and his well-being. In fact, he often talked about how he told his father to back off. He could see that there were a lot of people outspoken. There were a lot of death threats Jimmy was receiving at this point. And he was really convinced that all of this with Provenzano and the Giacolone brothers was like a pretext to set his father up for a hit. Especially since every time the brothers came around, Jimmy had been increasingly uneasy each time. Which was like a big red flag. And that's where I'm going to stop us today. <laughs> uh, it was a With lot a of fucking cliffhanger. <laughs> it is a cliffhanger, but like I haven't even gotten to any of the big stuff. yet. <laughs> that's true, too. I just kind of wanted to get his life and like all of his criminal activities and the hatred for him and RFK and like how they much they hated each other. <laughs> Because, you know, I love a good Kennedy (laughs) tie-in. There's so many Kennedy ties into everything, I feel like. Yeah, so I knew Robert F. Kennedy was tied in somehow. But, like, when I was doing this research, I'm like, damn, they hated each other. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, it was, like, super wild. Part two, we will pick up on... The events that happened on July 30th, 1975, and everything for the next 46 years. <laughs> God bless. God bless. And if this isn't like a selling point to come back, not only is there so much information over the next 46 years and so many theories that I will discuss, but there's news as of this year. that I am like obsessing over and I am super excited to talk about um it's it's some interesting news for sure guys yes and I just like (laughs) before we I guess we get into like part two I just want to say that like Jimmy Hoffa especially like around here I know like if I'm watching the news Jimmy Hoffa pops up, like, at least once a year. They're talking about something. They're doing another search. They're doing, like, new theories come out. New potential evidence comes out. So, like, 46 years of theories and conspiracies is what I will be summarizing in part two. (laughs) I'm excited for it. I can't wait to hear it. I'm so excited to be doing, like, a real-life crime story right now. I love it. Every day I watch The Sopranos and I'm like, oh, getting a little involved. (laughs) We yell at each other all the time. Hey, Gabagool. Jesus, I can't stand you. (laughs) So I was super excited. (laughs) Okay. Anything you want to add to this part yet, Sydney? No, not at this time. Um, I think you covered a lot. I think next episode I'm going to have a little bit more to say. 
Cool. And next episode, I'm definitely going to ask your opinion and your theories on everything. Oh, I got some. I'm ready yes, for it. I cannot wait. <laughs> I definitely have some. I think this this is just more or less you're stating the facts right now. I can't comment too much. I just sound like a jackass. And... Yeah, it's, it is <laughs> like the facts right now. And like yeah. his life up until this point. It's I w I don't wanna say it's not interesting because it is kind of fucking wild. <laughs> it is, and I think all of this is very pertinent, like and important to know prior to what we're gonna you're gonna talk about next week for sure. Yes. So Well, on it's that good. note, I'm done. I have a joke and a fact. Ooh. Okay. Hit me with a joke first, I think. What did the soft shell taco say when it wanted to cuddle? What? Fold me close. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I didn't think that these jokes could get any better, but every week I surprise myself. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Oh my god, I love that, that you just said that. <laughs> Every That's time, I'm like, this is a really good one. And then the next week, I'm like, wow, this is another really good one. <laughs> I think they're funny. <laughs> I think I'm funny. <laughs> Our listeners think you're funny. I'm glad someone does. A lot of people come from the joke. Are you, was that a, like a joke at, or a stab at me? I think you're funny. No, it wasn't a statue. I just feel like people in like the general universe like just think I'm a fucking asshole and that I'm not funny at all. Funny? What the fuck? (laughs) No, not you. I didn't mean it like that. My bad. Okay, okay. (laughs) All right, hit me with the fact. And effect. Yes. So the original or like the first Taco Bell location. I did have Taco Bell for dinner and need to chime that in. Um, Yeah, Taco Bell. had no indoor seating but there was a patio where customers could sit outside and listen to a mariachi band that is so freaking cool yes how times have changed i wish i could go i wish i was like still the original taco bell and you could like go visit i've been to the original kfc which sounds really lame and i know that and it's really not that exciting (laughs) I feel like that would be pretty cool. Well, like, you think it's going to be kind of cool, but, like, it's just a regular KFC, and then they have, like, a couple of, like, museum-type things in the front. They just have a plaque outside that says, like, I the mean, original. Yes, there was a plaque. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I feel like it would be exactly the same. There would just be, like, a plaque outside that says, like, yeah, the but, first like, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Band. I'd go. I'd travel That's to true. go to that Taco Bell. That's true. I think it's in California. I think it, I'm actually, I don't want to give another fact, but I'm pretty sure that the first Taco Bell is in the same town that the first McDonald's is from. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, like in California, or like the same area, the same suburb. Interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Huh. That's a blow another fact out. Now I'm going to have to, like, just do all this research on the original Taco Bell. (laughs) The OG. Yep. Well, I guess thanks for sticking with us, folks. I know it's a little long. And honestly, it's probably going to be just as long in part two. But come back because we will be talking about the events that happened and everything that's happened since, including all of the crazy conspiracy theories and if there's any concrete evidence on any of them. As well as our personal theories. Those are my favorite. Same. Because we have a lot of interesting theories, I'm sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, that's all I've got. We will... Oh, I should probably tell you to find us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Tacos, and Tequila Podcast. On Instagram, just tacos and tequila. We also have a website, tacosandtequilapodcast.com. It's got links to all of our episodes as well as our 
merch that is live. Check out all the things. Leave us a, a rating, a five-star review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get noticed, and it just makes me feel good about myself. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's everything. <laughs> Bingo. That's all we got. Sweet. We will talk to you guys next week then. Bye. Bye. Ha ha ha!